Hello, it's Trish and Heather here and we're home design coaches and founders of the Scribble Club. The Scribble Club is an online community for people who like design, healthy and functional homes and are looking for creative inspiration from professional designers. We're so excited to announce our brand new podcast called The Sketchy Ladies. Our podcast is a mix of design and building advice from inside the industry. You'll get simple tips and tricks to help you overcome your design challenges with creative solutions. You'll learn how to create spaces you've always dreamed of but never had the confidence to design. We value beautiful, functional, healthy homes and that's what we're here to help you discover. As qualified designers and busy mums, we understand how your health, sanity and well-being can benefit from a well-designed home. There's no need to settle for second best. Each week you'll get some tips and tricks to help improve the spaces inside and outside your home. Make sure you subscribe to the Sketchy Ladies podcast and this way you won't miss an episode. You can find links to all of the episodes and other goodies at thescribbleclub.com forward slash podcast. The Sketchy Ladies podcast is here to help you create your dream home. Let's make it happen. Welcome to episode five of the Sketchy Ladies podcast with Trish and Heather, where we discuss the upside down parts of our home. This is the fourth instalment in our four foundations of good design, which are planning, inside, outside and upside down. In today's episode, we discuss the design of the upside down areas of our home, including four of the most common planning challenges you'll face when designing these spaces, how to solve these challenges with good design and the cost of errors and how to avoid them. The four challenges that we're looking at today in terms of upside down is the ceilings, the light fittings, highlight windows and roof access panels. Trish, when we're talking about upside down, what we're really talking about is if we tipped a building upside down. Yeah, not standing on our heads. Or it could be lying on your back looking up. It's the upside down spaces that a lot of people don't think about. As designers, we are very, very careful about what we do and how we design our upside down spaces. What I like to say to people is just imagine tipping your house upside down and looking down at it. And that's what we do in our planning. It's called a reflected ceiling plan which is a bit of a boring name, but what we're really looking at is anything above eye height that you would see in a normal house. So the first thing we look at and see is ceilings. What are they doing? Are they flat? Are they simple? Are they high? Are they low? What are we creating with that room? What we looked at in one of the other podcasts in the inside spaces is the scale and proportion. So when we're looking at a room, we don't want it to be small in footprint and then a very high ceiling because that'll feel really strange. That'll feel like you're yeah. standing in a cavern. And similarly, we don't want a very low ceiling in a big floor area because that will make us feel like we're stuck in a basement or feeling squashed and claustrophobic. It affects so light too, doesn't it? The first decisions you have to make if you're looking at your home is what type of ceiling do you want? If it's anything other than your standard ceiling height, flat ceiling, is going to cost more money, isn't it? That's right, because they need the scaffolding to get up there and paint it or plaster it and there's all those additional trades. There's more plaster involved, all of those things. Plaster is what we would normally be lining our ceiling with generally, but yeah, there is a lot of other finishes out there too. One of the main things is you've got these beautiful open highlight windows and big rake ceilings, but they can cost an absolute fortune to finish off because they're a big expanse. The structure that sits above them, with most houses... Above a ceiling is the structure that's holding your roof up. It can be what we call roof trusses or beams and that's a standard cheapest version of a roof and ceiling structure. Once we start doing sloping ones and having angles and cathedral ceilings, all these fantastic names, but all that really is a different structure and it's got to cost money. There's a big trend in the last five years where we're doing those big gable roofs and, and the high windows, the triangular windows that go with it. So the cost of the, all of that 
is just massive. Just imagine a massive barn, that sort of shape that goes all the way to the end and the ceiling follows the exact shape of the outside of the building. It's a big open triangular ceiling. They cost a lot more to finish. There's a lot more material too because on a triangle, the shortest side is the bottom. Obviously, if we're building the two (laughs) angled sides, then that's a lot more material, a lot more painting, a lot more plaster, all those sorts of things. When we're looking at ceilings, one of my tips is to keep it flat in the areas that it's not going to require anything special. Your bathrooms, your laundries, that sort of thing. Mostly your bedrooms too, unless you've got a feature bedroom where you really want something special there. Keep the budget down by having those areas with lower ceilings and then save up for a big spectacular section of ceiling in yeah. your main living space. Yeah, it can actually improve your light and your ventilation in regards to those areas too. Heating, you're having a lower ceiling in a bedroom, you're going to maintain the heat in that space better than what we would if you had a higher ceiling. The other thing we need to think about too is what goes on above the ceiling. We've got insulation. We've also got cabling for lights. If you have one of these very high ceilings that runs along the same trajectory as the roof, often you have difficulty fitting in things like downlights, for example. You need space and air in the roof cavity and people don't realise how much cabling actually sits in our roof. And then we've got the actual ventilation of that roof space too. So if we've got a quite a closed space as you're talking about with the triangular sloped roofs we haven't got a lot of air movement happening in there so you get moisture build up and then there's other issues great conditions for bacteria to grow in there there's a lot to consider with ceilings people don't really think about them when they're designing but to us they're vitally important even down to just the junction of the ceiling to the wall that's a really interesting place because the cheapest way to do it is just to be fairly rough with your plaster and then we can stick a what we call a cornice which is a bit that joins the two over the top and your standard cornice is roughly about 50 mil in size and what that does is cover up all the rough edges of the plasterboard. Especially if the plaster sheet wasn't quite long enough. When we talk about the cornice too you can see some amazing ornate cornices especially in the Baroque period which is a period of design where those huge mansions could be a metre in size these cornices and they're super elaborate. Really not seen these days, but also with that sloped roof, you can't put a cornice to it. If you think of Buckingham Palace, that's a classic example where the ceiling is probably as ornate, if not more, than the walls. That's where they put up their wealth, didn't they? The rooms were proportionately big and then you looked up at this amazing ceiling. So it was that awe-inspiring, wow, you must be really wealthy and well-off because you've got this huge space and these amazing cornices. You don't see much of that anymore, do you? No, there's a lot of painting involved in in (laughs) those too. They use multiple colour paints to really accentuate it. That's something that in modern architecture is definitely not quite as in vogue as it used to be back in that era. The ceilings can actually be, whether they're high or low, can affect our light fittings too. If we're looking into a taller ceiling, we can afford the space of a larger pendant light. The pendant light is one that will hang down from the ceiling and be more of a feature. Alternatively, if you've got that lower ceiling, you might just have to stick with either down lights or other lighting within the room. The other thing we've got to think about too with our light fittings, which is our next challenge, is how to change the light bulb. Yeah, <laughs> yes. There are some pretty clever ways of having little pulley systems to drop them down from ceilings, those larger pendants when you've got a really high ceiling. It was just right down to the selection of the actual fitting too. Light fittings, we love a good light fitting, but it all comes down to budget, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. 
I've got the most beautiful little light fittings. Everyone loves them. I put in my bedroom and I think they cost me about 40 bucks. So you don't need to spend a lot. Then I can't decide on the big one in the dining space because <laughs> there's a lot of money involved in that one. We've also got to look at the size and scale of the room as well. If you've got a tiny room, no point putting a huge pendant fitting in it because you'll just be bonking your head all yeah. the time. <laughs> Especially if you're taller. Yeah. I've done that many times. And it also, it changes the feel of the space too. If you put a large pendant in a small space, it feels very claustrophobic. It can alter the, the positioning of your furniture and they all come together don't they the other thing we need to look at is their special requirements in terms of where the lights are located i did a hotel at one stage with a fellow that traveled overseas a fantastic interior designer and he spent 200 days a year overseas traveling around and he was so specific about where he put the light fittings in the corner of the room not over the bed which i thought was very strange i said why is that about and he said well i don't want to look up and be blinded by lights i spend so much time in these hotel rooms and the finished product was so good and so well considered because he thought about the use of that room. So yeah. it's really important that we think about what the use of the room is and what are we trying to do. There's no point putting beautiful decorative lighting in that doesn't throw good light if we're trying to do tasks, is it? Yeah, well, that was my next point too, is that in that hotel room, we would have been softer lights. It wouldn't mean big, bright lights that are going to light up the whole room. You're looking for that variation of lighting. We have another thing called task lighting which is very specific. For example, if you're in the kitchen, you don't want to have a shadow over your shoulder when you're chopping up food. No. You want to be able to see what you're chopping. You're chopping don't. up fingers, yeah, then, don't exactly. you? <laughs> Task lighting is very much about the quality of the light, what type of light it has to throw, the direction it has to go in. So some of the task lighting will actually be adjustable so that you can move it to specific points. Similarly, when you're lighting artworks, things like that, they'd be very specific about which direction they point, the quality of the light, lots of different subtleties. Just Picking a light fitting is incredibly challenging. You can have a whole section on just lights themselves, <laughs> their budget too. Do you have the money to do those extra fancy pivotable down lights in the kitchen for task lighting or is it something that we look at a more streamlined universal piece? The look of it, do we want down lights dotted through the house or do we want something that's softer as well? That all comes to play with the budget. People seem to think that lights always just sit on the ceiling, but they don't. They can fit on the walls, they can be feature lights. Light fittings can be standard lamps as well that sit on the ground, but the sort of light fittings we're talking about are the ones that are hardwired in. The other challenge with that is where you locate them because if you've got to move a light, yeah, cost your money. Yeah. And with that sloped ceiling that we don't have any roof cavity for, you have to cut into the plaster to do that or lift the roof sheets. Which is expensive and mm. hard, hard work. When we design the light fittings, we have certain ways that we do that and we often, in a complex environment, we'll use an electrical engineer to assist us with making sure that it's going to throw the light in the right direction. There's a whole series of specifications around lighting about what direction the light will go, how far it will project, how bright it is. There's all those sorts of things to consider. And if they're suitable for wet areas too. We don't need to get ourselves caught up with that today, but what we're saying is it's a big thing. And there's so many aspects to look at and reaching out to a professional can be hugely valuable. Another good thing to do too is have a Pinterest board of your favourite pendant lights, that sort of thing. Mm. The only trouble is sometimes you'll find something that you love that you can't find. Yeah, can't you buy. can't get a hold of. Oh, we've all been there. <laughs> but there are people that do actually make lights bespoke lighting. They'll oh, make it to beautiful. what you want and there's some very beautiful light fittings that uh, when they're handmade, can be one-off pieces. So that could be a whole talking point for your whole room yeah. is just simply yeah. your light fitting. And it comes into the finishes too. When we're looking at our ceiling, the finish of the ceiling might be a painted finish and then a, a nice timber pendant might be a nice contrast. That can change the look of it. Alternatively, you've got a timber 
ceiling and you don't need another timber pendant. But that can bring us through again with lighting. It's not only the electrical lighting, it's also our natural lighting. Mm, one of the tricks that we use sometimes is highlight windows to get more natural light into a space. There might be a poor view outside. We don't want to have a window and we might have something that we wanted to put on that particular wall that wouldn't allow us to have a window. So highlight windows can often be a good way of getting diffuse. By diffuse we mean subtle lighting into a room. Natural lighting is a lot better for our mind and our health than artificial lighting. So an artificial lighting is electrical whereas the natural lighting is what we might receive through a window or even borrowed from another room. But the highlight windows can also provide great ventilation options too. The thing about highlight windows is as designers we consider where we put them, don't we? Yeah, we certainly do. A highlight window refers to something that's sitting up high and that's where that upside down comes into it. So when we tip our house upside down, you might only see those windows at that point. Like you say, they haven't got a direct view edge anyway. You might see the sky. The other thing about them too is just the direction they're facing. If you get this wrong, this can have pretty dire consequences. If you're, for example, in the Southern Hemisphere, if you're facing those highlight windows north, then you most likely get a direct ray of sunshine that will shine down and hit the floor and track across the floor like a laser beam over the course of the day. Whereas if you have them south facing, it's the diffuse light. It will let light in without actually having the bright light shining on the floor in one spot. It might be, again, from morning light to afternoon light and during the daylight. You might have it facing south, but you might capture a bit more of that extra morning sun, which you wouldn't normally get a hold of otherwise. The other thing we need to think of with highlight windows too is window covering. Everybody thinks about curtains or blinds for the windows they see outside, Mm -hmm. but highlight windows, again, that can be a challenge in itself. For heating control, for example, you might want to be able to have something that blocks the light coming in to keep the house cool. You can have highlight windows in a bedroom, but you're trying to have that sleep in that you get once a month. (laughs) If you've got that light streaming in, you won't get to have that good sleep in. When we're talking about highlight windows, we're not just talking about the ones that will occur in the wall either. We can also talk about skylights, can't we? Yeah, and operable skylights are hugely valuable. They act like a chimney, don't they, to send that hot air out that would normally be sitting up in the ceiling and just generates that great ventilation. And it's also a great way to provide natural light to an internal room. An internal room is a space that doesn't have a wall or the opportunity to put a normal window in. So we can put a skylight into the ceiling and allow for both ventilation and that natural light. I've got this horrible vision of the 70s skylight that everyone retrofitted into their bathroom, which was that little circular bubble. Yeah, (laughs) and And that leak. (laughs) And the kind of Dalek thing that happened above it. They're not the sort of skylights we're talking about, just to be clear and transparent there, because there was issues with those being poorly fitted and leaking. When they leaked, then it leaked into the ceiling space and ended up with water running out of your light fitting, which is... Horrible. <laughs> dangerous. Horrible yeah. and dangerous. No, we're talking about properly fitted quality windows that are either operable or interoperable. An operable window means it can open and shut. They get really fancy now. You can get sensors if it rains that will shut for you. Fancy. Definitely a, a highlight of my new home. <laughs> yeah, one thing I do love about skylights or highlight windows is you often get the opportunity to capture a different view. It's not just about necessarily looking at the sky because you're looking up at a high level. So you can look into tree canopies, mm-hmm. things like that. They can be really relaxing and beautiful addition to a living space or a space that you want a bit of quiet time, a reading space. They can be a really valuable addition to a house. But these skylights that open up aren't for us to climb out to and access the roof, are they? The teenagers aren't going to be escaping the, through well, maybe the skylights. Maybe they will, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm in denial. But what we do need to access in the roof is actually getting into our roof, isn't it? So providing an access panel. Well, what we were talking about before, people forget how much stuff actually sits up in our roof, all sorts of cabling. If you've got 
just for example, multiple televisions. You've got to get from the aerial down into the ceiling cavity, down through walls. If you've got two or three televisions, then all of that cabling is most likely going to be running into your ceiling space, not to mention electrical cabling, light fittings, insulation, all those sorts of things. And in our worst case, we get a roof leak. We've got to get up into that space to find out where the water's tracking. With a roof leak, people think, oh, well, it's just leaking. I'll go to the spot where the water stain is. But Water tracks, so it runs down something else, hits something else, hits something else. If you get some mark on your ceiling and you think, oh gosh, I've got a water leak directly above it, chances are it's not there. <laughs> you got to see what you're punching through the roof too, don't you? The other part of that is that the water doesn't always come from outside. It mm. can be from inside your roof cavity. And, and something that we've found a big issue in Tasmania is what we've called roof rains. On the underside of our roofing, if you climb up into your roof ceiling, you actually have rain or water dripping off from the underside of your roof and that's part of a condensation issue. It's how much ventilation you've got up there can actually affect that too. We've got to get up into this space. We're talking humans getting mm. into the space. Obviously a roof access panel is a fairly decent size so they can either be about 450 or about 600 is our standard size in a square. They can be rectangular, they can have ladders attached if you want access into an attic space for storage. At the end of the day they're reasonably Big size, aren't they? You can imagine the size of people that might need to go up there as well. And you want them located in a place that's easy to access. You've mentioned a ladder. I have this great memory of trying to get the Christmas tree down out of the roof as kids and Dad would have to get the ladder and sit. It was right outside the toilet door. We only had one toilet in the house. Anytime they're up there spending a bit of time in the roof, we would either have to shuffle the ladder so we could use the toilet or just go with the door open. It's a classic, isn't it? Just mind the ladder. It's like, mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> if I can get past it, I'll mind it. Yeah. yeah. It's probably done more so in Europe than in Australia, but the roof space is valuable when you've got small areas. A lot of people use them for attic, so for a study or storing materials, but you just have to be a little bit careful that your roof is actually designed to hold other things. A lot of people put very heavy things up in a roof space and you've just got to realise that it might not be designed for that and the last thing you want is to have your roof fail and have your ceiling collapse in on your room. It'd be terrible. And if you've got the intention of using that space, you need to have that chat with your professional designer or architect where they can actually allow for that, either additional storage through their structure. It's all back to that planning, isn't it? There's some really, really fantastic access ladders too that are attached to the manhole the mm. cover it used to be called manhole cover but because yeah. <laughs> there's always men going up there but now yeah. tradie ladies and we've got all sorts of people that need to get into a ceiling space but the ladders are actually attached and, and can fold down so they're very safe unlike the balancing on the top rung of a normal ladder yeah. to get into yeah. a ceiling space they take up a little bit more space too that's something that again needs to have some good planning behind it. We don't want to be sitting in our beautiful living room area and looking up at an access panel. No, <laughs> especially when you're laying down, look at those beautiful skylights and then there's a panel right there. <laughs> exactly. Again, we're discussing good designs. What is good design? Well, good design is really about having the plan of what you wanted to achieve and really focusing where you want your highlights and low lights, I suppose we could call them, where you yeah. want to save money and where you want to spend money and being very strategic about that and actually having a plan to do it. So when we're looking at a house design, obviously if you've got a design professional, you can advise them where you'd like them to focus their energy in terms of where you've got more money to spend, whether you want special features, if you want something really special in the middle of the house that everyone focuses on, then the design professional can build all of that in into their reflected ceiling plan. Having that 
good Pinterest album or Instagram album or collection that you can actually illustrate and communicate that to your designer will allow for that planning to happen really well from the beginning. And then it's also knowing yourself, having a little bit of education behind you and that's what we can provide in the Scribble Club. It's part of the communication and coordination that we do with trades and other things. It's all about having an understanding of what has to go where. Yeah, that's right. It all comes together, doesn't it? In the Scribble Club, we offer that opportunity to be educated or join us with any of your projects that you might have underway. Whether it's a mini makeover to a mansion, we can help you and educate you through that process. It's like having your own industry professional on tap, really, isn't it, Trish? Yeah, your design coach sitting in your back pocket helping you out. Because we've been there and done that. We know tips and tricks and we know what you need to look out for. And in many cases, it's simply being educated about what needs to happen. I've got a lot of intelligent people out there that would love to be doing more design but they just don't know where to start or they're a little bit underconfident. Confidence is a big thing and it's knowing how to communicate to the design professionals and the trades. And knowing what you've got to do to get there. (laughs) Where do I start? I want a beautiful home with lots of natural light, some highlight windows and some feature lighting. Okay, but how do we do that? We've got to actually get that done. Where's the money coming from? Where's (laughs) the money coming from? We've got to get that done. We've got to get a plan. We've got to have a reflected ceiling plan. We've got to have our engineers look at it. We've got to be coordinated. There's lots of things that go into it. But again, it's just systems and processes that we follow on a daily basis that allows us to deliver projects and actually get things built. It's that education of yourself or of, of a client that can go hand in hand with a professional so you can understand what their jibber-jabber terminology is about and having that good understanding so that you're along the process with your designer. Part of what we're all about with the Sketchy Ladies podcast is really providing that education and breaking it down into very, very simple, digestible steps and getting rid of some of the terminology or explaining the terminology so that you can start speaking the language as well. Yeah, it's not so scary. Thank you for tuning into the episode of the Sketchy Ladies podcast. Join us for our next episode where we'll wrap up the four foundations of good design. This episode was brought to you by the Scribble Club, our signature group coaching program to help women design beautiful, functional, healthy homes. Check it out at thescribbleclub.com along with so many free resources to help you design and deliver the dream spaces in your home and get the results that you deserve. If you loved this episode, please don't keep it a secret. Share it with your friends on social media and tag us at The Scribble Club. We love hearing from our listeners and seeing your reactions to our episodes. We'd also love for you to leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us grow and improve our content. It also helps other listeners to find our show. Have a wonderful day. We're the sketchy ladies and we're behind you all the way.